Bibles this morning. And if you do not have our Lesson 13, please put your hand up. We'll get one of the men to get one to you. Uh, Lesson 13 this morning, uh, Luke chapter 24, our text today as we conclude our lesson as well as conclude the series we've been looking through on our journeys of faith. And Luke 24 this morning. As we talk about the journey to the tomb, Luke 24, the journey to the tomb. All right, follow along with me as I read, starting in verse 1. The Bible says, now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, They came unto the sepulcher, bringing the spices, which they had prepared, and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. What a powerful, powerful thought. Let's pray together this morning, Lord. As we come together this morning, Lord, to study your word, Lord, to continue this thought of our journey of faith, Lord, I thank you that salvation, Lord, is instantaneous and complete the moment that we, by grace through faith, believe and place our trust in you. Lord, what a wonderful thing it is to know you as Savior. What a wonderful thing to be a child of God. What a wonderful thing to be on our way to heaven, to be forgiven forever. My Lord, as well, how wonderful it is that as believers, as your children, as blood-bought sons and daughters of God, that you want us to not only be with you in heaven, but you want us to walk down here by faith. And Lord, you've got a journey of faith for each and every one of us. And Lord, as we examine this morning, Lord, for this last Sunday, as we talk about this journey to the tomb, Lord, how wonderful that they remembered your words. Lord, my prayer this morning is that you would help us to remember your words. Help us to take comfort in them. Help us to latch hold of them with all our might. And Lord, I pray you'd help us this morning. Help every person here. Uh, Lord, help me to teach you right your truth this morning. God, would you be glorified. In your precious name we pray. Amen. As we look this morning in our text, we're reminded that God's people had forgotten. They'd forgotten God's word. They'd forgotten what Jesus said to them. And as we talk about this journey to the tomb, and we, we spend a little bit talking about the burial and talking about the, the practices of such and talking about the fact that they were coming to prepare the body. But you understand if they were coming to prepare the body, they knew, or at least they thought they knew, that Jesus was staying in that tomb. He was staying there. 
They, they had given up hope that Jesus was coming out of the tomb. They had forgotten his words. And can I remind you this morning before we get into our notes as a reminder that oftentimes we forget the words of Christ? How many of you remember your mom or your dad saying these words? You probably, all of you have probably heard them. Mom or dad looked at you and said, what did I say? How many ever heard that before? Now, you know what that meant when you heard that? Brother Royce, it probably meant dad was going to beat the snot out of you. Uh, no, it probably meant that mom, mom or dad had told you something about how you were to behave, what you were to do or what you were not to do, and yet you were doing just the opposite of what they said. And they said to you, hey, what did I say? Now, how many of you went, I don't know. Uh, anybody do that? I, I wouldn't recommend that. Brother Royce, <laughs> I'm not sure, but I was expecting probably that was the case. Uh, that's not the right answer. Uh, but what did I say? Sometimes I wonder how many times our Lord, who is righteous and holy and just, would like to say, what did I say? Christian, I want us to think about his words this morning as we look at, finalize our notes for this lesson, and we'll catch up a little bit here if you missed some. Point one in our notes, this journey to the crawl or to the tomb was a sorrowful journey. It was a sorrowful journey. I remember when my oldest, Rebecca, was due to be born. She's a little bit stubborn. Uh, Josh, have you found that to be true? Yeah, I thought so. And she was supposed to be born, I think the due date was November 30th. Uh, she wasn't born until December 3rd. And I, I think actually the Lord planned it for her to be late because he knew that I needed her to be late. Because just before her due date, I got a phone call and I'll hasten the, the story, but basically found out that my dad was in hospital. Uh, we're not sure, uh, knew it was his heart, knew it was very severe, knew it was bad, knew it was possibly life-threatening. My sister was in Hawaii teaching in a Christian school. She could not come home. Uh, I have one sister, uh, another sister in heaven already, and uh, the Lord decided she wouldn't let her come either. Uh, so I didn't want my mom to be alone, and I asked my wife, and I said, you know, you're we're due right away. It was seven-hour drive away, and uh, we agreed that she was going to be okay. We had some. If something happened, we had friends that lived across the way from us that could help. But I took off and I drove to West Virginia to the hospital, not to my parents' home. I drove to a hospital, and that was a tough drive because I, the whole way, I wasn't sure if Dad was still going to be this side of heaven when I got there. Now, I can't imagine how tough that drive would have been if I knew he had already passed. That's the journey that these believers took, was the journey not to a hospital room, not to a sickbed. They took a journey to the tomb, and it was a sorrowful journey. They had put all their trust and all their hope and hung all of their future 
on Jesus Christ. They left their professions. Remember the disciples, Jesus said, hey, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. These men had a profession of fishing. That's how they made their money. They left their nets. They left their boats. They left all that they knew and followed Jesus Christ. There were those who found their identity solely in Christ. I think of Mary Magdalene who was here. Mary who was possessed by devils. Mary who was engulfed in sin and was forgiven and healed and found her sole identity in Christ. And Christian, can I tell you that that's what Christ wants for all of us is to find our sole identity in Christ. And that journey was a sorrowful journey. A sorrowful journey. They were sorrowing the Savior's death. It says in verse 1, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. They were there to sorrow the death of Lord Jesus Christ. Many of them had probably watched as Jesus hung between heaven and hell for them. They heard the words of Christ as he cried out, It is finished! And he gave up the ghost. They were sorrowing his death. It was not an easy journey. Not only were they sorrowing his death, but they were surprised. They were surprised by the empty tomb. Imagine you're going there in sorrow and despair and despondency and you're talking about maybe quietly, maybe meditating just in your heart about the fact that Jesus is gone and I just, I just can't believe he's gone. I just can't believe he died. I, I never thought this was possible. And then you get there and he's not there. They were surprised. The Bible says in our text there in verse 2, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabouts. Behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. I'm not sure why, but as I was reading that and thinking about it this week, I, and you have to forgive me. I'm probably just too carnal, but Miss Lois, for some reason, I was imagining like a rhinestone suit from the 1960s or 70s. But I, uh, imagine what they thought, man. What in the world? Uh, they knew something was different about these men. These men, of course, were angels, messengers of God. But they stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth. They were planning to prepare the body of the Lord Jesus Christ for the burial, for preservation, and they found out he was gone. Now, what should have happened, what should have happened the very moment they saw the stone rolled away, they saw Jesus gone, they should have had a praise, hallelujah, uh, shouting session. They should have said, I knew it. He's risen again, just like he said. He kept his word. But what they said was, oh, I wonder where they took his body. I wonder where they're hiding him. They must be a conspiracy and a cover-up. They were surprised. They had forgotten God's promise. They'd forgotten what God said he was going to do. 
So often we get surprised by what God says he's going to do because we don't really believe it. We, we don't really put stock and faith in what he says. We hear it, it goes in one ear, out the other, and we forget it. And we don't put weight to it. And when we see what God said happen, happen, we don't associate the two. So often there's a disassociation. And that's what happened here with these ladies going to the tomb. There was a disassociation. They were surprised, but it was not immediately putting the pieces together. There was a, a problem. Number two, not only was it a sorrowing, sorrowful journey, it was a wonderful journey. A wonderful journey. What made it wonderful? Verse 8. Verse 8. Look there with me. And they remembered his words. Christian, our journey of faith is always more wonderful when we remember the words of Christ on our journey. When we're reminded as we obey, as we take those steps of faith, as we live in obedience to the Bible, to the Word of God, to the will of God, as we do so, our journey is always more enjoyable when we remember the words of Christ. When we remember the words of God, the Bible says, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against God. God's word for you and for me is a joyous and a wonderful reminder along our journey of faith. Letter A, their fears were relieved. Their fears were relieved. How many of you are afraid of spiders? Put your hand up. Yeah, you're not afraid of spiders. You're a liar. My daughter had a spider in her room when she was a girl. There was no chance she was going in that room. There was no chance she was ever going to sleep again. She would burn that room down until the spider was killed. <laughs> Once the spider was killed, there was a little bit of a uh, calm and then she probably laid there and went, I wonder if it had any babies. Uh, I wonder if it had a friend. But that spider being killed was, oh, finally, finally it's gone. I can go back in the room. Can I tell you the greatest fear, the greatest fear that these ladies had as they went to the tomb was being eternally separated from their Savior. And that fear was taken away. That fear was removed. It was completely out of the way. The Bible says in Luke 24 and verse 36, And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? And why do thoughts arise in your hearts? 
Behold my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye see me have. Imagine that the last time you saw Jesus Christ, you watched him die. You watched as they pierced his side with that spear and blood and water flowed out. You watched as they took his lifeless body and roughly and coarsely yanked it off of that cross. You watched as the Roman soldiers roughly carried him and tossed him into that tomb. And all of a sudden, there's Jesus. This morning, I was sleeping very well. Very, very, very well. Uh, Brother Bonnie, I think I almost died. I was that, that's how asleep I was. And I woke up to my wife's face right in front of me, right, right there. And I'm sure I scared her because I went, <laughs> No, not because she's scary looking, but because I just, I was so dead asleep and all of a sudden, she said something to me, and she was bent down by the bed, and I saw her. It terrified me. And it took me a second. You know how they have that, that period between being asleep and being actually awake? It took a while for me to pass through those dark, uh, foggy waters. <laughs> and finally I went, oh, what time is it? <laughs> it was just that weird, Wah! Uh, oh, I'm married to you. This is okay. Can I tell you, Christian, that these believers had that fear relieved. It was removed. It was taken from them. Uh, what a wonderful journey whenever our fear can be taken away. Not only our fear, but let her be in your notes, the sorrow. Their sorrow was removed. Their sorrow was removed. Luke chapter 14 and verse 8, it says, And they remembered his words and returned from the sepulcher and told all these things unto the eleven and all the rest. Can I tell you, when Jesus arose, it was Christ who, who planted the only durable rumor, the only durable rumor of hope amidst the widespread despair of a hopeless world. The world was without hope, and sorrow was removed by the fact that Jesus rose again. By the way, we gather this morning on the Lord's Day, a reminder every week of the fact the Lord rose from that tomb, a reminder that sorrow is gone. It, it, it's removed. It's completely gone. It's out of there. And how wonderful that is. You know, when our dreams are shattered, when we're discouraged, by the way, and sometimes that happens in your Christian life. Sometimes in your walk of faith, we walk through, as Psalm 23 speaks of, the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes we walk through discouragement. Sometimes we walk through depression. You read the book of Psalms, you know what you'll find out? You'll find out that God revealed the heart of the king, King David, a man after his own heart, and you'll find out that King David walked through some struggles. 
through some dark times, some difficult times. We understand that those times will come, but can I tell you that the Lord Jesus Christ can remove the sorrow? How many have ever been stung by a bee before? I grew up in West Virginia, and in West Virginia we joke about being wearing no shoes, but it's more, it's more than a joke, Miss Lois. Growing up in the summertime, I rarely ever wore shoes, and I'd run around barefoot, and there was a little gravel, little gravel driveway on the farm there between our yard and my grandparents' home, their yard there. And the very first part of the summer, when I'd walk across that gravel, I would walk like this. Gingerly walk across that gravel barefoot. By the end of the summer, I could run on it 100 miles an hour. It didn't hurt me at all. I built calluses up. But early in the summers, I would walk across our yard. You know, we, we didn't have uh, a lawn care service when I was growing up. You know, we, we didn't kill the weeds I was an adult before I realized that dandelions were weeds. I thought they were flowers. I thought they were beautiful. Uh, we had clover uh, in our yard, and I love clover. We'd look for four-leaf clovers. The flower's pretty. I, I thought that was beautiful and supposed to be there. I didn't find out till later in life. Those are undesirables. But because of those clovers, we had bees, honeybees, and many, many times, especially in the beginning of the summer, by the end of the summer, my calluses and my feet were so thick, those poor bees would break their stingers off. But i step on one of those rascals, and they'd sting me. You know what I took pleasure in knowing? Brother Royce, I enjoyed the fact that once they stung me, they could never sting again. They were done. Uh, stinger was gone. And I'd have to go, I'd go over to my grandma, and she would uh, take the stinger out and put that methylate. How many of you remember methylate? They have that in Canada and the Philippines. Methylate will cure anything. Man, if they would dip a cancer patient methylate, I think it would cure them, Miss Lois. That, that stuff, powerful stuff. But she'd put methylate on it and send me on my way. But she'd remove that stinger. Now, that stinger would come out of that bee. And I remember as a young boy finding out, and she, I can't remember, I think it was my grandmother pulled the stinger out, and she said, that bee will never sting you again. Its stinger's gone. Christian, can I tell you that Jesus Christ, when he came out of that tomb 2,000 years ago, he removed the sting of death. Amen. And as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, death can no longer cause a sting for me. That sorrow is removed. It is gone. And what a wonderful thing that is when they remembered his words. Lastly, this morning, and we'll conclude our lesson this morning, number three in our notes. The journey was a transformational, a transformational journey. In other words, it was a journey that changed everything. A journey that changed everything. Letter A in your notes there, they were transformed through forgiveness. Transformed through forgiveness. We learned last week and talked about the fact that Peter walked away from the Lord. We, we talked about that actually not last week, it was our last lesson, excuse me. 
as we talked about the journey to the cross and we talked about how Peter had denied the Lord, how Judas had betrayed him and Peter had denied him, and how wonderful it was that after Jesus rose from the tomb, he would find Peter. Peter would come to him on the seashore and he would forgive and give Peter an opportunity of service. That's a powerful thing. But as we think about this being transformed through forgiveness, uh, look there at Mark 14, verse 66 through 72. And as Peter was beneath in the palace, there cometh one of the maids of the high priest. And when she saw Peter warming himself, she looked upon him and said, And thou also was with Jesus of Nazareth. But he denied, saying, I know not, neither understand I what thou sayest. And he went out into the porch and the cock crew. And a maid saw him again and began to say to them that stood by, this is one of them. And he denied again, and a little after, they that stood by said again to Peter, surely thou art one of them, for thou art a Galilean, and thy speech agreeeth thereto. But he began to curse and to swear saying, I know not this man whom you speak. And the second time the cock crew, and Peter called to mind the word that Jesus had said unto him before the cock crew twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereupon, he wept. Can you imagine the despair that was in Peter's heart? The shame the burden, the weight of it, the weight of knowing that he had denied the Lord, that he had, he had cursed, he had done everything possible to separate him from Christ. And then Jesus was crucified. That's why Peter looked at the other disciples and said, Fellas, I go fishing. He basically was saying, well, I, I ruined this. There's no coming back from that. There's no return from what I just did, fellas. James, I, I could never go back. I, I, I burned all the bridges. I destroyed everything. And so I'm going back fishing because that's all I can do. But he went back fishing with a burden that was a weight bigger than he could bear. He went back with that cloud hanging over him. And then at the tomb, at the empty tomb where those angels and shining garments spoke to those ladies, said, I want you to go back. And I want you to tell the disciples. Can I tell you, Peter was one of those disciples. Peter received the message that Jesus had rose again. Peter received that message from those. And that message to Peter was, Hey, Peter, I'll see you in Galilee. I'm no doubt Peter must have thought he's going to settle the debt. When I was in Bible college, 
I, I knew a guy that, and, and, and please, please don't think that I'm, I'm belittling mental illness here. I'm not doing that, I, but I want to share something that I think ties in. I knew a fellow that had some, some mental illness issues, and he was a, he was a good guy. He, he struggled in some areas of his life, and every once in a while, and he would have a flare-up with some issues. And when I was a young Bible college student, he was an older guy. And he got upset with me about something. And I can't remember now what it was, but he, he was upset. And he was so upset that that thought of whatever it was consumed him. And I was in the dorms one day on a Monday. He got, he got angry on a Sunday. And he called me. And he said, we're going to settle this. I'm like, what are you talking about? And he went off to explain uh, why he was, what, what I had done, which made no sense. And I, and I understand now, it was, I, I understand it was definitely some mental illness going on and issues that way. And he said, I'm going to meet you at such and such park and you be there and we're going to settle this. And his, he was going to, he was threatening, he was going to beat me up. Now, uh, he was about Brother Gerald's size, maybe a little bit taller. Uh, maybe he was bringing a gun. I don't know, but he was going to beat me up. Now, I probably shouldn't have done this, but I said, okay, what time? He told me the time. Brother Gerald, I'm ashamed of myself. I said, okay, I'll be there. I said, you, I'll be there. And then I hung the phone up and went back to doing whatever I was doing. I don't know if he showed up or not. But if he did, he showed up without me. Uh, I wasn't there. Uh, he got there. Where's he at? And I wasn't there. Hopefully he beat somebody else up. So he got some frustration out. But Peter may have thought, man, the Lord's, <laughs> he's going to see me in Galilee. He's going to take care of me. But how wonderful that Peter was forgiven. Christian, you know why that's wonderful? Because I'm just as guilty as Peter. I need that forgiveness just as much as Peter did. By the way, the disciples that doubted and thought Jesus was gone and forgot his words, I'm just as guilty of that as they were. As Mary Magdalene, as the other Mary was, I, I'm just as guilty. This journey to the tomb for these ladies and for the disciples was transformative. It transformed them through forgiveness. Mark 16, 6 says, And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which is crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. But go your way. Tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee. And there shall you see, as he said unto you. The disciples and Peter. Peter had removed himself from being a disciple, but Jesus hadn't removed him. I love that thought. He was called to be with Christ, and we see that transformative forgiveness. John 1, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God not only forgives, but he chooses to forget. 
That's a wonderful thing. If I, if I walk over to Pete this morning and I punch him in the nose, it would be bad. They'd have to call an ambulance because he'd probably kill me. But if I punched him in the nose, and after I punched him in the nose, I said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> He's a better Christian than I am. He'd probably say, oh, okay, pastor, you have some mental illness. I understand. Uh, I forgive you. But the next time I go up near him again and I draw my fist back, he's going to put his arms up. Why? Because he's not going to forget. <laughs> he's like, man, last time I saw that, the guard comes up. Our Lord forgives and forgets. You know, we, we confess something and, and we feel like it's always there. It's always there. We've never removed. But it's forgiven forever. It's gone. And can I tell you, forgiveness is transformative. It's transformative. When God forgives, he receives us back in the fellowship. Psalm 103, verse 2 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies. God longs, God longs to restore us to fellowship. And let her be this morning. They were transformed through faith. Transformed not only through forgiveness, but through faith. Look, if you will, at John 20. I believe you have printed there in your notes, verses 24 through 29. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, except I shall see his hands, in his hands the prints of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. I, I, love, I love that phraseology, the, the juxtaposition of those words. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. In other words, Jesus got in the room and he didn't need the doors. And just all of a sudden, there was Jesus. So then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then said he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach thither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, notice the phrase Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. The ultimate transformation happens by faith. Jesus said, hey, Thomas, stick your hand in here. You want to you wanna stick your fingers in the prints of the nails? By the way, there's, a, there's an old song, I can't remember the title of it, that talks about the scars in the hands of my Lord. I, I don't believe Jesus has scars in his hands. I believe he has the wounds in his hands. He said, hey, go ahead and feel them. Go ahead, you want to you wanna touch it? You want to stick your hand and thrust it in like you said, Thomas? 
And Thomas said, my Lord. And my God, I believe. Thomas believed because he saw. I haven't seen Jesus Christ. And by the way, neither of you. By the way, neither has Jimmy Swaggart. Uh, neither has any of the other hell evangelists who said they saw a 500-foot Jesus. No, they didn't. Uh, you haven't seen him. You haven't heard his voice audibly. But he speaks to me and to you. One day I'll see him. And I'll be like him for I'll see him face to face. One day that will be the case. But can I tell you this morning that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ is real even though I've never touched him. Even though I've never put my hand into his side as Thomas had the chance to, he's alive. Even though I never took and touched the prints of the nails in his hand, he's alive. So, Pastor, how do you know that? By faith. By faith. So where's your evidence? Faith is the evidence of things unseen. I can believe his word. I can believe the record. He's alive. We can thank the Lord that the ultimate transformation took place and takes place when we, by faith, believe. By the way, there's a big difference in knowing the Word of God and in believing the Word of God here and believing it by faith. Many of you grew up in religious backgrounds where you believe the Bible. You believed the Word of God. You read the Word of God. You believed it, but you didn't believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a difference. There's a difference in that faith of believing on Christ. We see Thomas believed on the Lord. He called him my Lord and my God. In order to be transformed through faith in salvation, now, we've been talking about a walk of faith for believers, but can I tell you, for our life to be transformed from being an unbeliever to a believer in Jesus Christ is by faith, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I want to share an illustration with you this morning. A Jew and a Christian were once indulging in a bit of a friendly argument about their respective faiths. Most of the good things you Christians have, you've taken from us, was the word said by the Jewish man. The Ten Commandments, for instance, he said. Uh... I'll admit, we took the Ten Commandments from you, said the Christian. But you can't say that we kept them. <laughs> Can I tell you, so often we say we believe, but we don't always obey what we say we believe. But our Lord, the God of heaven and earth, became flesh and dwelt amongst us and died not so we could keep a set of rules, 
not so we could measure up to the holy standard of heaven, not so we could earn our way step by step into God's favor and gain forgiveness by our doing or being. Rather, he came and died and became flesh and died and was buried and rose again that we could be transformed by faith. I could be made a new creature. Not so I could take what I am and make it better. I was looking on Facebook Marketplace the other day. And I saw a picture of a truck. And I recognized the body. It was a 1966 Ford. And uh, I was thinking by the mic, maybe the Lord wanted me to have it. I wasn't sure. And I... Uh, Then I saw the price tag, and I was pretty sure he didn't want me to have it. And it was beautiful. I saw that truck. I thought, oh, man, that's a gorgeous truck. And then I, you know, you know what the devil does. You know, he casts that bait out. I grabbed the bait, and I had to to read about it. I had to read the ad, knowing I couldn't buy it. But, you know, I'm still going to read the ad. I was window shopping. And I realized that 1966 Ford truck, it was gorgeous. I mean, it looked mint. It was beautiful. It wasn't really a 1966 Ford truck. What it was was a 2000-something F-150 with a 5.4-liter Triton, my my least favorite engine ever made by Ford. Uh, And then they took the body of a 1966 Ford And they put it on that frame and chassis. Now, they tried to make it look new and fresh. But it was different. Can I tell you that we often think that when we get saved, that God wants to start taking parts and putting new parts on us to make us like him. He has to fix us. He has to fix the engine. Of the heart. Yeah, he has to start putting new pieces on us to make us better and put some bondo in and, you know, put some screws in to hold us together a little better. When in reality, the Bible says that he makes us a new creature. A new creature. We're transformed by faith. John 14, would you turn there with me? One of my favorite passages in the Bible. John 14, verses 1 through 6. By the way, Jesus spoke these words to the disciples before he went to Calvary. These are words they had forgotten. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know. And the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? In verse 6, the Bible says, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way. The truth and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Can I tell you your core beliefs 
about the death, burial, and resurrection of the gospel of Jesus Christ are pivotal, not only, not only in saving faith, in that they are, but also in your walk for the Lord, in our walk of faith, that we encapsulate that belief that we stand on it, that we hang on it, understand that God not only transformed us into a new creature the moment we trusted him, but he wants to keep working on you. He wants to keep changing you. He wants to make you look like the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was 18 years old or 19, we had a spirit week at college. And we were supposed to dress up like a staff member at the college. Dr. Wendell Evans, he's still living. His, uh, he has pretty severe dementia now. His health is very poor. Dr. Wendell Evans was the president of the college. and I love Dr. Evans. I think when we get to heaven, I'm pretty sure Dr. Evans is going to lead the singing in heaven. I'm pretty sure of that. I hope so. I'm going to ask the Lord to let him do that. I love to hear Dr. Evans lead the song, And Can It Be? Oh, a powerful, powerful song. But Dr. Evans was an older man then, and much older now. He had gray hair. But I'd recognized that Dr. Evans wore a suit that looked identical to a suit that I had. And because of my build, uh, because my waist is much bigger than it should be, but it's smaller than uh, most people of this chest size, if I get a pair of pants altered to a suit, the pant legs back in those days were huge, like stovepipe legs. I mean, I'm talking about. Uh, and I had the suit that I had, I think I'd had the, the waist taken in six inches. And the, the legs were like big stovepipe-looking legs. It was a double-breasted suit. And it looked identical to the suit that Dr. Evans wore. So I decided I was going to dress as Dr. Evans. I had hair back then. And I wore that suit. I wore a tie that was almost identical to a tie that he wore. Uh, I got a pair of glasses. I didn't wear glasses then, but he did. I got a pair of glasses I borrowed from somebody. And I greased my hair and kind of bit of a wave the way he had his hair. And then I took some baby powder. And I dusted my hair with baby powder. I looked like Dr. Evans. It was uncanny. I walked into chapel. Everybody's laughing. Everybody that saw me is like, you look just like Dr. Evans. And I, I just, I'm walking. It was hilarious. I'm walking in. And as I'm walking in, I'm standing there talking to a buddy. And as I'm standing there, Mrs. Evans walked up, put her arm around me, started talking to me. And I looked over. <laughs> And she realized I was not her husband. But I looked so much like him that even his wife thought I was him. Christian, God wants to work in you and on you so much in your walk of faith that we look like Jesus Christ. May we continue after transformation of salvation, 
to continue to allow that faith to transform our lives day by day as we walk for him. Let's pray together. Lord, help us. Help us to be transformed. Help us to walk by faith. Help us to live for you. Help us to honor you. Lord, I pray that you be with us this morning. I thank you for these dear folks gathered here. I thank you for the opportunity to to gather, to fellowship, to sing your praises, to, to learn your word, to be challenged, to be encouraged, to love one another. Lord, I pray you be with us in our service to come. Lord, I pray you be with those traveling yet to be here. Lord, I pray you'd meet the needs present here in this building this morning. I pray that your word would be uplifted, your name would be risen up, and Lord, that you would draw all men to yourself. Lord, help us today to show forth Christ, to be like Christ. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.